Morning, church. Good morning. Um, I also want to remind you, Jackie reminded you of a lot of things. It's also name tag Sunday, so if you didn't get one during the Passing the Peace, it's a great time to grab one. Today is a baptism. If the family will join us here. We're so excited to have you. Come on up. And all of those with Taya, who stand beside her, all ministers in the house, come on up. Today we have the deep honor to baptize one of our beloved at Middle Church and in the Reformed tradition we offer baptism to infants, children, teens, and adults. Why? Because all of us belong to God. No matter our age, God claims us as their own. In baptism we claim being claimed. It is a sign and a seal of belonging to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of baptism, for the power of ritual, for the joy of worship. In these moments, transform us. Make us a community that loves all our children into adulthood, that walks aside our youth becoming adults, creating brave and safe space for them to follow in your way of just love. Amen. Parents and godparents, Will you cherish Taya on God's behalf, raising them in faith and in love, teaching them to be love and light in the world? If so, say yes, I will. Yes, yes I will. we will. And Middle Church family, will you model for Taya vulnerable strength, rule-breaking kindness, and fierce revolutionary love? So they learn to be the hands and feet of God. If so, say, we will. We will. Beloved, what is your full name? Taya Calliope Blackburn Baker. Taya Calliope Blackburn Baker. I baptize you in the name of God, whom Jesus called Abba, which means Daddy. In the name of Jesus, who welcomed all the children, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who will be your inspiration, who will be your guide, who will be with you your whole life through. Let us pray. Holy One, may your radical love and welcome be what we offer to Taya, their family, and to each other. Make us all love incarnate. In your many names, amen. amen. Middle family, greet your beloved child, Taya. So friends, if you would stand as we get ready for this opening hymn, it, the words are in your bulletin, um, but I'd invite you not to look at your bulletin. <laughs> I mean, we always print the words, but this is a call and response. It's very traditional. So what I'd love for you to do online and here in the house is just allow Ivan and the choir to lead you in this moment. And just feel uh, the presence of a body of people holding this song as we sing it together. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Middle. Good morning. And good morning, online Middle. I don't know what you came to do this morning. Tell your neighbor, I don't know what you come to do. I don't hear y'all. I don't know what you come to do. I came to praise the Lord. All right, y'all sound like y'all might came to praise the Lord today, middle. Let's give it a little try. 
Here it is. It's a call and response I do and you do. I don't know what you come to do. I don't know what you come to do. Y'all sound real nice, middle. Say, I don't know what you come to do. part says, I come to do my dance. 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 I come to sing my song. 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 I come to lift my hands. I come to lift my hands. my hands. I come to lift my hands. My hands. I come to lift my hands. my hands. And I don't know what you come to do. Come to do my dance. I think you can be seated. Please have a seat. <laughs> and now, friends, is a time for the message for all ages. So I would like him to when welcome all the young and young at heart to come and join me up front here. We have a really, really fun message to share with you all today. My name is Reverend Mira Solani Joyner, and Elise is going to be helping me out. So this is a little unusual. Um, I'm demonstrating a message, and I'm calling it Imperfectly Perfect. Can you say imperfectly perfect? Imperfectly perfect. Good. Okay, so what you'll need, you can do this at home. It's, a, it's like an embodied prayer activity that involves art. Have you ever prayed using art before? I'm not sure I have. Well, so I'll, let me demonstrate what that looks like. It's pretty wild, but it's a lot of fun too. So what you'll need is a blank piece of paper, 
like this. And you can do this at home. Each one of you, you can do it alone or you can do it with friends or with family. You'll need a blank piece of paper. You'll also need some acrylic paint, some black acrylic paint. So that's mine all dried up there on the plate. You'll need some round circular objects, uh, some lids from containers, or I have an old medicine um, little container there. Uh, you will also need uh, some watercolors. This is my little watercolor palette. Whoa. Have you got a watercolor palette at home? Yeah, but it's all messed up. It's okay. <laughs> that is okay, and I'll tell you why in a little while. So you need watercolors. You will need a paintbrush. And to make watercolors work, you will need one more thing. What do you need to make watercolors work? Um, water. Water, exactly. I, did, I couldn't bring any today, but let's just imagine I have some. So what you'll do is you'll take this blank piece of paper, and then you take those little containers, and you dab it onto the wet black acrylic paint, okay? And then you stamp on the paper to make these circles, just like this. And you can space them out like that. And, and you know, I noticed when I was doing it, some of them didn't make a complete circle. So they weren't perfect, but they were still okay. They still look really good. In fact, you could even go really bananas with this, and you can make some of them overlap like that, because it looks a little more unique and different when you do that. It adds texture. So once you've done that, very important next step, leave it alone to dry, all right? So once it's dried, that's when you can break out those watercolors. And then you can start to fill in each of those circles. And this is where the prayer and meditative part comes in because you can experiment what would happen if you mix two colors together so it swirls like that. And, you know, sometimes you can stay within the lines to keep everything nice, neat, and tidy, or you can go really bananas with it and work outside the lines. And if you'll see, I even got some of the black acrylic paint and I did some paint splatters on there. So it doesn't look perfect, but it still looks pretty good if you ask me. And you can do this anytime you want. You can do this at home. And I love doing this because I feel like this is probably what it was like for God when God was creating the world. That God was probably getting really creative and, and doing things like splattering paint to see what colors would come out, would be mixing colors to see what, it would hap what would happen in nature. And although in our eyes we might think, oh, some of these splatters, they look really messy, or these circles aren't complete, that they don't look perfect, for God, God is still so proud of what God created and still loves this thing and all of God's creation. And I like to think about how that's probably how God sees us. We might see ourselves as imperfect. We might see ways that we look as imperfect, or we might view the ways we behave. We might think we're not good enough, or we're not doing all the right things by God. But God always looks at us with love, always looks at us with pride. Because God knows, too, that just as we were trying to work out, hmm, what colors do I want to use? How thick do I want to make those lines? We're trying to work out what works in our painting. And God knows that of who we are in life, that we're trying to work out how to love one another. We're trying to see what works when we're friends with someone else. We're trying to see how to love one another fiercely and what, how that's different from not really loving another person. We're trying to see what, our, what actions are just and what are unjust, what actions are restorative and healing and what's destructive. And through that, we may look imperfect to each other, but to God, God just sees us, perfect child of God. So in the same way, you can be proud of what you've created, always doing it differently every time, always working out what looks best. Remember, the same way you can be proud of your end product and how it looks, God is also so very proud of God's imperfectly perfect creation. Thank you. And now...
Let us return to our seats by singing Siamba. Thank you, Mira. Imperfectly perfect. In that same vein, we'll have the prayers for the people today, which is a sung prayer and can only happen in community. Um, so if you are a low voice, a middle voice, a high voice, there are three different uh, parts. You'll choose your own adventure on this. Um, and whichever one is yours, stick with it, regardless of what you hear going on around you, okay? So I'll sing the first line. We can all sing that one together. And then I'll move on to the second part. And if you're like, oh, there's the middle of a voice, that's me. Change. If you said you're going to be the bottom, stay. And we'll have two different things happening at the same time, right? And then I'll sing the third one. If you're like, oh, that's mine, then you'll hop on up, right? But if you were first and second, okay, it's really important that you stay. If you're online, may the odds ever be in your favor on this one. <laughs> I'm not sure how you sing three parts unless there are three of you at home, which that's awesome. Okay, shall we give it a whirl? This is just an example of how we do community together with all of the diversity that is um, us, right? So let's give it a whirl and see how the spirit moves. And you just keep on singing and we'll, we'll let it move as it does, all right? I am in you and you are in me and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in God. I am in you, you are in me. And now if you will stand with me.
pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. In whatever language you know, whatever version you know, we have the version in our bulletins that you're welcome to join along with. Ever loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the reign, and the power, And now if you will pass the peace with each other, remembering that some of us are introverts and some of us are not, remembering that COVID is still a thing in the world. There are all kinds of things you can do. Um, if touch is not your thing right now, namaste. Um, as Mira reminded us, you can simply put your hands behind your back. Um, peace be with you. May the peace of God be with you.
So before we start, uh, I just, oh, have a seat, please. <laughs> uh, I just want to really acknowledge the band and their music. You know, we've been finding our footing as we've moved from pandemic online to Calvary and then into this space. And it's not, there's not one formula. There's not one formula that you just plug and play and all of a sudden everything's there. But through the grace of God, uh, like we're coming back, like yeah. you can feel the energy, yeah. right? And so the band has been a really powerful part of that, really getting folks that are, that, that are committed to what we do, that love what we do and love working with the people. And it just really shows in the room. And so I just wanna acknowledge the band for that.
I will tell you, sometimes as a preacher, after the anthem, it feels like you should just sit back down, because everything <laughs> there is to preach has already been preached. <laughs> Thank you, choir. My name is Ben, I'm one of the ministers here at Middle, uh, and first and foremost, I give you greetings from our senior pastor, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Uh, she is currently in Bermuda, uh, working for us down there. Um, she was telling me that a couple days ago, she got to meet with a whole bunch of queer teens in, in a community in Bermuda, and tell them how beloved they are, how wondrous they are. This morning, she's preaching and talking about the legacy of colonialism and the work that we can do to undo that harm. So it's a reminder that the work of Middle isn't just what happens in this sanctuary, it happens all over the world as our love touches places where the world is breaking. So this morning I am grateful to Jackie for doing that work and she sends all of her love to all of us assembled here. You join me in a moment of prayer. Lord, as we listen to scripture and some words from my mouth, May the meditations of all of our hearts be pricked. May we find ourselves drawn closer to you, joined in community, and reminded of how deeply we are loved. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. So here are some words from Luke's gospel. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. All who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of God for the people of God. I had a seminary professor who told me that if we only ever hear the Bible calling out folks with whom we disagree, there's a pretty good chance we've created an idol. But that knowledge does not make it easier to read passages of scripture that reflect our own shortcomings. It actually reminds me of those funhouse mirrors I loved as a kid. You know, this one makes you look short, this one makes you look tall. Except while those mirrors fundamentally distort the truth, it feels like passages like this one simply magnify the parts of ourselves that we'd prefer not to see. And in those moments, boy, if it isn't easier to just get up and leave the carnival. But we are called to more than a comfortable faith. And so here is Jesus speaking to those confident of their own righteousness. I'm sure none of us know anybody like that. <laughs> and so Jesus tells the story of two men, one a leader in the faith community, someone who has devoted their life to religious study, someone who has read the scriptures and reflected deeply on what they mean, someone who, by his own admission, is trying to put that faith into practice. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, he tells God. And yet, somewhere in this life of piety, his faith has turned back within itself and no longer calls him to further discernment and growth but has instead become primarily a source of self-satisfaction. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers, he prays. It sounds cartoonish when you put it so bluntly, and then I glance at my Twitter feed, and boy, howdy do I got words for other people. These folks are being racist. These folks are being sexist. That senator, he isn't doing nearly enough to, do, to protect people's right to an abortion. And this mayor I know, He's expanding the police state, and he's absolutely gutting our education budget. And did you see those people on January 6th, the insurrectionists? It's terrible. And that fashion? One of them was in a horned helmet. How gauche. <laughs> I jest, but 
we're deluding ourselves if there isn't a kernel of truth there. I'd be surprised if there is anyone assembled here who hasn't had some thought like this go through their mind. Now, the point that Jesus is trying to make is not to flatten morality, to throw up our hands and say, well, everyone's a sinner, and simply let people commit evil by justification that none of our hands are clean. We are not all equally racist when some people are conspiring to steal voting rights. We are not all equally sexist when some people have been engaging in a decades-long campaign to violate people's bodily autonomy. This evil is not a mirage. When white supremacists try to violently overthrow the government, the faithful response is not to throw up our hands, shrug, and say, well, who among us hasn't done something bad? <laughs> Part of a life of faith is fighting for what matters and confronting the people who assault the values we cherish. But here's the crucial distinction. In Jesus' parable, the Pharisee is not in the public square. He's not making a proclamation. He's not confronting the ruling authorities to demand justice. He's simply in a moment of private prayer. And somewhere that admirable piety has retreated from its rightful place into his interior life. It's no longer about pursuing justice, but reassuring himself that he's on the right side of it. And so he ends his prayer, thank you that I am not like this tax collector. It's telling that Jesus uses the tax collector as an example in this story. Tax collectors pop up so frequently in the gospel, it can be easy to just think of him as synonymous with bad and breeze right past him. But what exactly is the tax collector's sin? Tax officials were employed by the ruling authorities to gather money from the people. And it is true that these taxes were steep and oppressive. Like all empires, Rome squeezed as much profit as it could from its provinces. People who generated more than enough wealth to live comfortably were instead living hand to mouth as they saw so much of what they made flow to line the pockets of people far wealthier than they. But here's the thing. The tax collector didn't set those taxes. He didn't decide what the oppressive rate would be. And while he likely lived more comfortably than the people from whom he took money, the money didn't go to him. He's not lining his pockets with the community's wealth, just doing his job collecting the money, sending it back to Rome. The tax collector's sin is complicity. He participates in an unjust system. And this is the central failure of the Pharisee when he says, thank God that I am not like this tax collector. His conviction in his own goodness has rendered him unable to see how we all participate in unjust systems. And that's the moment where this parable begins to hit uncomfortably close to home. Because we here at Middle do a ton of legitimately amazing things. To speak more personally, I as a leader in this church do work about which I'm very proud. But the moment we become convinced that because of that work we no longer need to grow, that's the moment that we begin to betray the gospel. As a white person, it's not enough to say, I work for the anti-racist church. I serve Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, do you know her? An absolutely incredible woman. And you know what? She thinks I'm pretty great. We've trained thousands of people to examine their own racial biases. That may all be true, but if it means that I stop examining my own whiteness, it is actually hindering my ability to become an accomplice in the work of racial justice. If it makes me unable to hear a black friend say, that thing you said really hurt. That good work has become a millstone hanging around my neck. It pushes me closer to becoming the person who shouts, follow black women, while quietly undermining a particular black woman in my own life. It's a practically a cliche in organizing spaces. You know, a white person who, having discovered the perniciousness of racism, still centers their own voice at a meeting. A man who tries to patiently explain to women why he finds feminist rhetoric off-putting, offering better ways to advocate equality. Helpful straight folks who lecture queer people about how embracing kink or non-monogamy impedes cultural acceptance. And the paradox of all of this is, it's precisely people who have put in work who are most vulnerable to this kind of behavior. The moment we decide that we've arrived is the moment we cease to travel further. So what's the antidote to this kind of moral paralysis? Well, Jesus offers that too. Always helpful, that Jesus. 
All who exalt themselves will be humbled, he says, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what does it mean to humble ourselves? Well, here's what it's not. It's not a call to self-negation. It's not Jesus demanding self-flagellation, the kind of exaggerated condemnation for even minor offenses that mostly serves to reinforce just how committed we are to justice. That's actually not particularly helpful. For example, if I use the wrong pronouns for someone, it does not provide additional atonement to go on at length about how sorry I am, how deeply I understand the importance of correctly gendering people, to make fervent promises about how I'll never do it again. Far better to stop, correct myself, and move forward. Because true humility is fundamentally about honoring the ways that we are interconnected. It's about owning the harm we cause, yes. But even more important is continuing to live in relationship knowing that we will make mistakes, knowing that by our action and by our inaction, we will contribute to unjust systems, but resolving not to let a desire for perfection inhibit progress, while simultaneously resisting the tendency to think that by making progress, we have achieved per perfection. Tapenos, the Greek word that we translate here as humbled, literally refers to making one place in the ground level with the others. It's not about making ourselves low, as low as possible, deliberately diminishing our own worth as if that signifies a commitment to liberation. It's about knowing deep in our bones that we are not better than anyone else because all of us are sacred, wondrous, created in the image of the Holy One. By eradicating that gap between ourselves and others, we move into a place where we viscerally experience other people's pain as our own. The sin of the Pharisee in this parable is one of separation. By the conviction in his own righteousness, he's actually removed himself emotionally from his surroundings. By praying, thank God that I am not like the robbers, he distances himself from the world, including the people who are being robbed. Righteousness can become a protective cocoon. If I believe the right things about a broken world, I can absolve myself against truly feeling the places that it's breaking. If I have read all of James Baldwin but cannot sit amid Katrina Mateen's wails after police murdered her son, Jahim McMillan, my reading is in vain. If I make art about the sacredness of trans siblings but I do not enter relationship with trans people, that art might as well be dust and ashes. I have time to condemn politicians who legislate against abortion, but I do not have time to sit with my wife, Erin, when she tells me I'm just so scared that someone is going to steal my rights. I'm first and foremost a performer, not a partner. But it's easier for me to tell stories about what I've seen on the news than it is to name when I've let zeal for looking righteous get in the way of fully showing up. When I was younger, I was part of a group organizing a protest in response to the killings of Eric Garner and Michael Brown. We were talking over the action, planning what the artistic element would be, and the, some of the other folks in the planning group wanted to erect massive wooden crosses that we would carry through Union Square, marked with the names of the dead. And I was worried that by making the protest so overtly Christocentric, we would limit the size of the coalition that could be, you know, join our action. So I kept pushing back, suggesting other ideas I thought would be more strategic, until someone called out the fact that I wasn't listening. They weren't trying to plan the most strategic action. They were planning a demonstration that testified to the pain that they were suffering. In my push for inclusivity, I was shutting out the voices that in that moment mattered most, the folks sitting across the table. I'm still learning. Walking beside incredible black and Asian colleagues in ministry, there are always new lessons. And sometimes I get it wrong. But that's what it means to be in relationship. Progress, not perfection. The call to humility is terrifying because it asks us to be vulnerable. It moves us from protagonist to accomplice when in our heart of hearts, we would rather be in control. But something magical happens in that moment when we open ourselves to our neighbor's pain, to the tenderness of living. What we lose in control 
we gain in connection. We find ourselves in the struggle not because it is the right thing to do, but because it becomes an overwhelming desire to alleviate the suffering of somebody that we love. We enter that thin space that Jackie described two weeks ago, a fragile but resilient hope that liberation is within our reach, paired to a conviction that we will only get there together. It's the fierce love that Jesus himself embodies when instead of praying, God, thank you that I am not like the robbers and the evildoers, he turns to the thief on the cross beside him and promises, today you will be with me in paradise. A better world waits for us to put righteousness aside to enter relationship, roll up our sleeves, and enter the messy work of living. That's why I'm so excited about the opportunity in front of us as a community. By rebuilding our church, we're not just making a building. We're building the container to develop new ways of living. It is about the work that we will do within those walls, absolutely. But it's also about the spirit with which we do that work. The world has a lot of dogmatic places, yelling very loudly about what they believe is right, pointing to the people who violate that vision. I'm not saying that we won't ever do that here at Middle, because sometimes that's what the moment demands. But what truly sets my heart on fire is something that Middle is uniquely qualified to offer, a place that explores the work of justice beyond sloganeering and creates an environment for people to move through the conflict that inevitably arises in that work. A place that doesn't just confront oppressive systems, but tells the people harmed by those systems, and yes, those who cause harm, the promise that we affirm in baptism. You are not alone. You are sacred. You are loved. There's a place for you in this movement. Together, we can do something miraculous. But again, the humility that we embody in this approach isn't one that asks anyone to diminish themselves, to negate their self-worth. In fact, it asks of us the very opposite, to know exactly what we bring this movement and to offer those gifts joyfully. The prophet Isaiah has words about that kind of love. You will rebuild ancient ruins. You will raise up the foundations of many generations. You will be called repairers of the breach, restorers of the streets to live in. I love you so much, Benal, and I know that we can do this together. two longtime members of Middle to talk a little bit about what we can all offer this movement together. Tom, Laura. Good morning, I'm Tom Smucker, and this is my wife, Laura Kogel. I have been attending this church for 37 years and been and, and been a I've been a member for 34 years. I grew up uh, in, in a, a very involved in the church as a kid in the 1950s, and in the 1960s and 1970s, I drifted away into the worlds of political action and pop music. <laughs> as I got older, I missed church, uh, but I realized that if I was to return, I would have to find a place I could explain without apology to all the people that were in the life that I was leading. That included my black friends, my Hispanic friends, my gay friends, my Jewish friends, my atheist friends, my Hindu and Muslim friends at work at the phone company, and my Irish Catholic union brothers and sisters in the union movement, which was very important to me. Where would I find a place that 
was not uh, baggage, the baggage of organized North American Protestant Christianity. When I discovered Middle Church, I felt at home, I felt relaxed. I felt that I could be myself and I felt that I could explain what I was doing to my Jewish wife <laughs> and my Christian Jewish children. <laughs> and after a while, Laura and the children became comfortable as well and became a, a part of this, this church in their own way. I didn't care at first that the congregation was small. It was just important to me that this tiny outpost of inclusive Christianity would survive and thrive. I got involved over the years as a deacon, as an elder, sometime as chair of the consistory. And amazingly enough, the church not only survived, it thrived, it grew, it got big, and it's still growing. Me. Well, when Tom showed me what he'd written, I have to confess, I really laughed hard and long at the long list of people that would, are, were truly in his life that had been hurt by Christianity and to whom he wanted to explain without apology why he was returning to church. I must say over the years, Middle has delivered all those Identities have been represented at this church, and I felt I could be recognized um, as my cultural Jewish self and be devoted to being that person who I am. As a Jew growing up in the shadow of the Nazis and the Holocaust and during the Jim Crow era, which I was, and I was, as a Jew, I just never would have even considered going south. I was so scared. Um, and I'm scared now of the fascism that is, uh, and, and Christian nationalism that is, you know, spreading across our country. And I believe we really need middle to be in the public s square, uh, loud and strong and bold and brave and reclaiming a loving, humanistic, revolutionary Christianity that I and others do not need to be scared of. <laughs> So join us here and online, wherever you are. Help us rebuild, reclaim, and repair. Go to middlechurch.org join to become a member and sign up for the new members class online so that we can get to know you. Scan the QR code on the screen for Venmo or go to middlechurch.org donate to give online. Thank you, everybody.
Creator God, all we have we give to you. Everything that we have comes from you and we give, we give humbly to you. We don't give to earn your favor, but our gift and our offering is our private prayer. It is our act of relationship with you and with one another. And we may not be able to give equally of our gifts, our talents, and of our time, but we give equitably. And so, God, we dedicate these gifts, our time, our talents, our resources. We commit them, God, to your work of justice, your definition of fierce and radical love, to the ushering of peace that is both here and here to come. In your many names we pray. Amen. Amen. Closing him middle. Hey, y'all on the balcony, how y'all doing? Onliners, are you ready to go? Let's do a little jazzy jazz here. anybody turn us around and part of that work right now is making sure that people get out there and register to vote and, and actually get to the polls. So there's a second part. Susan Davis over there, Susan if you will raise your hand, is sitting with, uh, standing with some packages of postcards. These are letters to be mailed to voters down in Florida who've been, who've been devastated by the hurricanes, encouraging them this is still a crucial moment to be, get out and make their voices heard. Um, so let's fight against voter disenfranchisement. Let's make sure that people know that they have the right to cast a vote and they, you know, we are standing with them as they cast that ballot. So go uh, talk to Susan, sign up for some cards. For folks who are watching online, you can write to our voter reform group. They will also help you get connected. But let's make sure that we're making connections with voters in swing states to bring you know, this election on home. Amen. 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 But middle, as you go out today, if you remember nothing else, remember this. You are not made to be perfect. You are made to be in this work and to remember that you are loved, that you are sacred, that you are holy, not because you are perfect, but because you are created in the image of the Holy One. So know deeply how loved you are. You are wondrous and go out into the world and share a portion of what you have found with others. Let us go and be loved together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.